Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. This week on Top Lines and Tales, and our characters in livestock, they don't get much bigger characters than, uh, than my friend that's on here this week, uh, Andrew Hornell, with letters after your name, Andrew, and, and known to a lot of us as, as Honky. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And as you said, uh, you, you, the, the name Honky was something that your father was called as well, and, uh, and, and it's kind of stuck with you. Yes, I and um, the farming side, I get called Honky, and on the rugby side, I played rugby for Stirling County for a few years, and I get called Horny. So uh, depending <laughs> on which which camp I'm in that week, people call me just two I'm, different names. I'm sure you've been called called Horny off the rugby field as well. But let's just uh, let's <laughs> forget it's, about it's, it's, it's for my name, Andrew. It's for my name, not my nature. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you you farm just about oh, in, in uh, Fallon Inch, which is just by Stirling. I know you can see Stirling Castle from where you are, so you're just on the side of the the main A9 there. That's correct. Yes, we just front of Stirling Castle. Uh, our kitchen window is a, a postcard of Stirling Castle and Wallace Moor. It's a lovely spot to live in. Uh, very accessible for so many parts of the country central scotland yeah uh-huh. and, and some nice nice flat meadows that you've got there that the envy of everybody when you drive by and your grass growing up and your charley cattle grazing on the side of the road there i, I often honk the horn when i go by there um honky <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's lovely and we've been very lucky it grows really good grass especially this year it's been a dry year with heavy karst clay land and uh, it makes a massive difference and it's been a very good year uh for us for grass growing so and it hopefully continues the rest of the year but well, change, no doubt. We were just having that conversation just now, and I think you guys are getting the lion's share of the good weather in Scotland, whereas I'm too far south now. Everybody, I used to laugh at everybody in Scotland sitting in the rain while I was basking in a bit of sunshine. Now I'd be desperate. I'd, I'd, I'd take all the rain you can send me. That's <laughs> right. I notice a lot of my French breeders with having Charlie cattle. I speak to them, and it's been a very hard season in certain parts for uh, drought, and it's quite quite hard for them. That's just you. And we go on to the French, uh, the, the Charolais Catalan. I think it was your grandfather that started the Charolais herd there at uh, at Fallon Inch. There'd be some of the original imports, I guess, there, Andrew. Yeah, very early 70s, not at the very beginning, but well, early 70s, my grandfather, my father, brought some of the, bought some early importations uh, that when they could get a hand on. They were very scarce in those days. You were limited to how many you were allowed to get in. Um and my father started at Fallen Inch, and my grandfather another farm at the Dykes. Uh, they were originally, my father and, and my grandfather were builders originally. Okay. So, and, and they, they fell into farming. My, my father really fell into farming. He just loved farming, and they were, he, my grandfather sold uh, his, his building business, quite a large building business back in the early 60s. So, my, when they, they wanted to move into a bit of farming, and so my father bought Fallen Inch, and my father, grandfather bought another farm. So, and one, and then ventured on from there. So, um, yeah, Charlie's were a very early stage of my life, uh, from the, the beginning, where I can remember. You know. and, and as you mentioned, you said you talked to the French breeders and still keep in touch with the French breeders. And of course, Charlie, yeah, hails from the from the, the west side of France there. And and some of those early cattle would have come come in directly from France, I guess. Some of those early lines. Oh, they were all they were all the early lines. All came from France direct. Yes, and there were a, a limitations on on on. Um, at the, at the beginning, you weren't just couldn't go and get them. They were all balloted, etc. So yeah, there was 
uh, it was quite uh, quite hard to get them you know, at the beginning. You know. And would you have some of those original lines? You still run the herd of Charolais to this day. I mean, I don't know that puts you into probably a long time in the breed anyway, but do you still have some of those original lines still running through the herd now? Uh, no, I don't actually. No, um, my, the herd was kind of split. My grandfather had the fallen edge prefix and my father took on the st- a sterling prefix. And he really was driving my, my father. Grandfather was heart really was in building and, and he kind of, uh, let the the fallen prefix disappear in in some ways, and just he just stopped breeding cattle. Although the prefix was still there, he did disperse. He just let the cattle go, and they uh, uh, migrated into the Sterling herd. Um, and then later on, my father, you know, he wanted to go a different direction, different ideas, uh, or from from myself, I wanted to go to more beef cattle, more beefy type. So he kind of dis- we dispersed, and I took kind of control of moved on with the. My own herd, fallen inch herd. We dispersed the sterling herd, and I took the fallen inch herd on. Uh, come re- rejuvenated the name okay. and brought it back into light. So that's kind of my own name for the fallen inch herd. So, well, let's yeah. go into a bit more of the, a bit more of the weeds on the on the the, the Shirley breeding that you do have there. Then, so where would your original Shirley's be picked back up from? Then, where your influences come from within your, your fallen inch herd that we know today? Yeah, the, 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 a lot of the French influence, and I, I still like the French cattle, the breed characters and stuff. But um, you know, my my father started again way back with. Uh, the Harmons, you know, the opportunity, the, the, the late Tony Harmon and then now and Dan Harmon. Now his son Ben Harmon was just recently chairman not so long ago. So the Harmons, we got some cattle from them and we bought some other uh, animals on bloodlines from French bloodlines, some embryos, and really concentrated on that. And odd dispersal sales, we would bring bring them up uh, by, by what we could. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's built from there. But we're always... I mean, I'm still always looking for different genetics on and female side, so I'm not adverse to buying the odd female just if I think it would could fit into what my type is. And I'm still a pretty traditionalist, and I and I buy where I think if I need to, if I need to buy a female to to expand on a different bloodline. So, you know. what sort of years are we looking at when you did sort of restart the, the kickstart the herd? Way back in the late 90s, we, late 90s, I think 98, I think the Sterling Herd was dispersed and then uh, I kind of put my own my own stamp on the Fallen Inch Herd. So yeah, from then, late 90s onwards uh, was, was where I was on. And I, I wouldn't be wrong in saying that you, that you, that I've seen you anyway with Charolais would always come out with some great females. I know that the profit is in selling the bulls, but great females and, and, and showing those females as well. I would, 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 you, would that be be a fair comment that you'd be a man that would be be keener on on a flashy female than than than, uh, than bringing out a bull? Yeah, early on, yeah, definitely. I think um, I think the, the kind of um, I was brought up with like Jimmy Donald and Jimmy late Jimmy McKechnie's and, and and George Macrae was a huge influence on my life and they were all uh, different aspects. George Macrae especially, he he was very much uh, a great ambassador for me, uh, a role model to look up in cattle breeding, and he was always involved and talked about the female line being dominant and. Um, and Jimmy Donald often said to me, you know, if you, if you get the, the females right, the bulls will surely follow. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we co- I concentrated on for many years on the females, um, to probably to the detriment of the the bulls. However, in the last maybe 10 years, I've started to really look at uh, trying to, you know, breed, breed, put cows to bulls. I think it'll breed bulls, you know, and, and that's starting to come through now. I think the, the foundations of having good females Good milk and and good teats and quality of milk and it's now coming through. So I'm 
yeah, I think we're in a good position at the moment. Um, we'll to, pro- to, to probably go into that in a little bit more detail in a second because they said you have been with the breed a long time and they've been to a little bit of a roller coaster, obviously through the through the years. And sort of breeds come up, come up and and down and then sort of back up again. And I would say the Charolais is back in a, in a very good place just now. But um, yourself, you would you would have brought out you know, show beasts you know, year on year. The Highland Show, your stomping ground, your hunting ground, should I say? And uh, <laughs> and uh, and you'll have had your fair share there. One particular cow that I can remember, you maybe. Tell, tell me your name that uh, I think won it a couple of times, but you had your share of spoils at the at the Highland Show there, Hockey. Yeah, Campbell's Barn Fee was a cow who won yep. the interbreed in 1996 and 1997 there. That was the first really huge success for the interbreed winning there. And um, yeah, she was a fantastic cow. Um, we, we, I was, my, my, it was actually my father bought it as a heifer for, at the Campbell's Barn dispersal sale mm-hmm. of Alan McCaig's a way back. And um, it, it was there is quite a bit of a funny story that the the legendary David Smith, who worked for Alan McKeague at the time, um, he he actually calved it, and uh, I think it, he, he said it and broke its leg when we bought it. He says, "Look, just to let you know that the animal when it was calved, I pulled it out, and here it just was just the last minute he said it broke its leg, and he had got the vet down to say to the vet, you know, here's this calf, what do you think we should do with it? And the vet said, well." We could either put a, a stookie on it, and yeah, but I don't know if it'll work or not, or we could just have to put it down, I'm afraid, Dave. He said, oh, you know, we, we we better give it a chance, you know. So he put a stookie on it, and, the, you know, the calf came well, and, you know, eventually, you know, Faye the, um, got sold to us. Um, anyway, it went on, and it did well, obviously, and we went to the interbreed team, and interbreed, sorry, individual championship in 1996, and, and uh, we, we won the overall, and reserve was Smithy. <laughs> and uh, he could just at the very end, you know, he's in his rough, croaky voice, said, uh, "I wish I'd bloody put the bloody thing down." <laughs> he got beat that day, and um, yeah, that, I've always remember that. He was very fond of Smithy; he was a great character, and, and he taught me a lot as well because he was he was close by. So. I was very privileged to have a lot of these great stockmen around me. Of course, Camus Barron was just up the road. I mean, that was one of yep. one of Smith's uh, last places that he went to. But he made the Camus Barron herd in the Angus and with the Charolais, and they didn't have a lot of Charolais there at Camus Barron, I don't think. But uh, what he had there, as everything else, Smithy did was was quality quality animals. Yes, yeah, ab- absolutely, and fantastic. He was a great stocksman, especially in Aberdeen Angus. He, he just flourished, but he could flourish in any mm. any environment for stock. He was just an outstanding stocksman. Well, we've talked about him on this podcast. Mm. And he won the Highland Show with seven different breeds of cattle or something. Yeah, outrageous. That, uh, <laughs> he, he could do that. And what was the breeding in Campus Baron Fadus? Remember, some people have said on this podcast beside uh, um, that we've talked about some of the best animals ever seen, and everybody sort of goes back to the to the to the same cow of Peter Dongus. But a lot of people have said that Campus Baron Fay would be out there as as one of the yeah, greatest show I'm- pieces ever been. Well, it was, I think it was a very good cow. I think Celia, Kilkenny Celia from Dongers was a great cow. Mowbray Park, Gigi was another great cow. But there's a lot of cows from the past there. I, I mean, my own opinion, I thought some of Laurie Shuttleworth's way back in the early ones of the Mount Pleasant females were fantastic animals. You know, I think he was uh, the influence of uh, Willie Whitelaw, uh, who was in government way back. He, he was involved with Laurie at the time and... I think there, there, there are opportunities to go to France and get a good selection of females. And some of those early ones from Mount Pleasant who were at the Highland Show, um, they were some fantastic females. I thought they were just outstanding animals, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think if you really go back and dig into the breed to this, this day, 
we'll see a lot of the Mount Pleasant animals really being the foundations for a lot of the some some great cattle right through all the top breeders. I really do. Sticking in there and, and, and coming through you right and and well what, just remind me again what the breeding of of of, Mount, of um, Campus Baron Fay was just for the record here. I think it was off a, uh, a new house line and a Merdy cross. Okay. Um, off the top of my head, you've probably caught me on that one. That's okay. But um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of good blood in her at the time. And you talk about the French cattle here, and and, uh, and there are you know, there are a lot of good cattle in France. A lot of those you wouldn't get them out of France, and if you could, you'd need to go with a big checkbook and, and, and a lot of persuasion <laughs> to get these cattle, to let, get them to part with them. But uh, they, they generally were a little bit nearer the ground, maybe, just that bit thicker type, which, as they said, we've said in a lot of other breeds on here, that you know, every fourth generation you maybe need to go back there and just pick that 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 thicker type just to come back and, and, and keep the breed honest. Yeah, I don't maybe maybe could agree with that actually because if you go to France today, you, you'll see some of the biggest bulls ever. You know, they're twelve, eight, sixteen, seventeen hundred kilos regularly at, at national shows. Okay. So the size, I don't think, is actually uh, an issue. Uh, I think probably what happened was we probably brought in earlier maturing animals. Mm-hmm. Rather than that, that maybe didn't suit the French, um, and I think they probably got a name that we over here that they say that they don't grow, they're too short, they're too too small. Some of these because because they were early maturing animals, mm-hmm. but there, there's no doubt that there's plenty of size and power in France, and uh, but there's a, there needs to be a balance, you know. I think you get the breed characters coming from France as well, okay. but there needs a balance because they've still got a lot of big bones, and we, <clears throat> I think, what's one of our great strengths in the UK genetics has been that we have looked for a modern Charlie from those early ones that I remember as a small boy. It was They weren't good, you know, hard calving, big bones, harder animals to flesh. Well, they've gone now. I mean, they just, they're, they're unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Nobody could have them. And they've now changed into a, a far more streamlined, short gestation, easy fleshing animal, slightly lighter boned, but still got all the breed, the breed characters of easy fleshing coming off grass, and especially in this day and age, yeah. With the carbon footprint, Andy, you know, it's, 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 I think it's, the breed is still in a really good position, and they're hardly a breed. You know, I've just looked at some supple calf sales yesterday, and you know, it's fantastic. Some of these calves coming off these cows, uh, the, the price that they're making, and mm-hmm. Charlie's still still very dominant in the storing. Sure. Sure, no, absolutely, and, and and you're right for all the other breeds that are, they're all chasing chasing the tail. The Charlie certainly has made its way back into the to the, the higher numbers in in the registrations because of the growth rate, and and also on the on the show side of it as well. Of course, we you know, we, we all you know, enjoy a, enjoy a decent show calf, and, and a little bit of Charlie still puts that bit of class in a show calf, doesn't it? Oh yeah, the hair, that uh, gingery, lovely coloured hair, soft hair and fleshing on it. Uh, just uh, and then great big ears and lots and lovely yeah can't beat them mm-hmm. fantastic mm-hmm. and going on to your prowess as I said you won the Highland Show how many times have you won the Highland Show uh, I'll give you, it'll be yeah a I won yeah I won, I won 96 97 in 2003 uh, 2003 was 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 a beast of bread myself just when I was going, kind of going back in mm-hmm. doing it myself and uh, with Paula and Sophie, uh-huh. uh, and that was a, that was a really special time because she was actually junior champion and then in and uh, over overall of the yeah. Charlotte champion which was junior champion overall interbreed and then in the afternoon she had to go back out to the individuals and it's very rarely that a, a, a junior has gone on to be overall champion as well right okay so, so three different three different judges all have different a different person judging it so Brilliant in the junior so yeah I was very um, I, I was a very 
a special moment mm-hmm. in my life for that. Mm-hmm. Certainly, and and going on of course to Perth, we said about selling bulls, and I know you've sold uh, you sold well Perth of Sterling now right on your doorstep because you've sold uh, and and Perth still is very much the home of the of the of the Charolais main sale, isn't it? And of Sterling rather, and uh, yeah. you, you've topped that one on more than one occasion, I think. No, I'm not top. I've not topped uh, St- Sterling. No, um, I featured reasonably high up, but no, I've never really conquered the, the bulls. I've I've got a good bull this time going to. Sterling, a uh, decent bull. It was junior champion this year at the Highlands, so we'll hopefully um, we'll have some high hopes for that. It was a nice bull. Okay. But no, the, it's it's always very difficult. You've only got a few cows, I think, Andy, that you, you really need quite a lot. But mm. yeah, and, and I have concentrated on my females probably uh, to, to quite a little, big extent. So, But now I've got some nice bulls coming up. But another talk, I was, I was champion back in the old market, way back in Perth. Yeah. Uh, 19, hold on, I'll just tell you, 1995, because I'm just sitting in my office and I've looked around and seen where I was, October 95 with a bull called uh, Sterling John Quill. And that was a bit of a disappointment really because there was a time of the changes, we were were looking for um, a a far, a a smaller type of easier, quicker maturing bull and that bull was a big powerful, very flashy bull but it didn't make the price I was really, really hoping. But it was a way to a a pedigree breed in Northern Ireland. and it did very well. It went on to win Balmoral Show with up the next year. Did it? Okay. Well, that, that's a great accolade, isn't it? I mean, the big <laughs> big money's all very well, but it's nice when they go into a good home and, and they they go on and do and do well for other folk, and that brings your customers coming back for them, of course. Yeah, exactly, as, exactly, as well. And, uh, and and with regards to bulls in the Charolais, what what bull have you bulls have you used over the years that have been dominant? And you said there's fairly small herd there, but uh, have you used bulls that have been actually you know the ones that made the, the well the, the the bull yeah the bull one one of the things one of the, the Bulls I always hugely admired was Barnsford Fernie. He made 70,000 guineas and Charlie Bodenbotter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually had a bid on the day, but not not to that extent. My, my pocket wasn't that deep. So um, I thought he was a great bull, and I was very, very fortunate. Charlie's actually um, offered to loan it to me, mm-hmm. and I've still got it. It's a very old bull at the moment, and it's bred some very nice calves. So, and Fernie in his heyday, way back at the Royal Welsh, when it was overall interbreed champion, I thought, personally, Fernie was probably, if not the best bull I ever saw. Um, just He was just faultless to me. Power, he had everything, temperament, and, he's, and to this day, he's still a big big white cuddly bear, you know, <laughs> and he's a fantastic, fantastic, still good animal. You know. And what numbers of, yeah. of Shirley Cows do you run there at Fallen Inch just now? I, I, yeah, and I only run about 14, 12 to 14. Uh, we, 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 we cull quite hard. I've not got a lot of area space here. Um, so we, we run up, we've got 170 acres or so, but we rent most of the ground out. So, yeah, I just keep my numbers tight. Um, and it's not my main business as, as the Charlies, but it's the thing I love, you know, it's the, my, my passion. Certainly, certainly is your passion. And, and it took you to the top of the breed as well. I think you were chairman of the, the British Charolais Society at, uh, at, uh, for a period. Yeah, I was chairman for one year, but six, seven years ago. Uh, it was a great honour to be to be there. I had a great year, actually, in office. Um, it was the year of when David Benson was just about to retire. So we were... Um, had a great time going all all over to all the shows and to all the sales and every show and sale we went to was that there was always a retirement party. So 
Um, it, we all, myself and David used to always call it the last hurrah. <laughs> that's, that's what it was like. So wherever we went, it was, it was very welcoming and everyone was very pleased and they did a fantastic send-off to David. So it was very good. I, I, I had a wonderful year that year, I must admit. And a tremendous man, David, again, been spoken about oh, yeah. on this programme and tremendous ambassador for the breed there a long time and Charlie Mann through and through for all his days and uh, just, just uh, it helped that breed tick, it made that breed tick. Yeah, absolutely. David did a stalwarts to take it through, and, and uh, it was Billy Turner really introduced him to the breed. Um, and Billy just passed away recently, so he was a, he was a legend, and, and as well. So, yeah, yeah, David did a great job for us for twenty nine years. Yeah, and and you would get out and judge a little bit amongst the Shirley's too, Honky. Uh, um, yeah, I'm sure, and that's an enjoyable job, isn't it? Oh, I loved it. Yes, it's it's, it's really meeting all different characters and people in the breeds and the stories that go around and yeah I did I was very fortunate to do the, the Great Yorkshire and the, the National Show and uh, I just did Balmoral and I did several different national shows in in, in Ireland, the South Ireland and uh, was even I've been did some bits in in Europe as well, okay. Hungary and France, etc. So yeah, it's been I've been very fortunate. It's been very enjoyable. Yeah. Very enjoyable. Yeah, and, and they look after you as a judge in France, so you'll get used to a bit of a bit of red wine before you start the, before you even get into the ring in, in, in the with the French. Oh yes, there's a few aperitifs taken before and uh not as long as not too many. <laughs> <laughs> and I know before we go on to you said this is not your main business and we'll go on to that in a second, but you also kept keep sheep as well, and you kept sheep but be right in thinking you were one of the early ones in the Rouge Rouge business. Yeah, well yeah, we were I think at the time my my father was always very entrepreneur and he was a big influence in my life all through that those early days when I came out the, into the family business and um and we, he was always keen to look at and experiment and try different things. And I think I maybe got my entrepreneurial spirit really from my father and my grandfather. You know, see what he's done. Diversification was was a big thing for us as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those early days we experimented with a lot of breeds, and, and he even experimented experimented with a lot of different cattle, just trying you know get one or two. We went from Piedmontese to Romagnolas, Rockbunts. Oh, we had the more Marciana, Kianinas, of course, uh, Simmentals. Um, so you know, and then going on to the rouge as well, we we, we had vendings, rouge, blue domains, texels. I'll, I'll just try them, but we did stick for the rouge for a wee while just to. Um, and the, and I think you're that's when we first probably met you and me and the mm. way back then. And mm-hmm. uh, there were exciting times when you were bringing <laughs> bringing animals in and you didn't know, and you, you were given a, a number, a lot number to go and pick them in France. Um, came in as a, a ballot, came in from mm. imported in. And then you'd have to go down to oh, Southampton, I think. Mm-hmm. So my father was was still involved. It was, was mostly driven that as well. And I, I was, uh, you know, looked after the sheep. And, and a profit, and profitable was, yeah. time. We had Danny Wiley on here not so long ago and him talking about the times when uh, Robert Graham went into the, to the Rouge and Robert Graham, of course, another entrepreneur and an oppo of yours just up the road. Mm. Um, but it went into there when they're selling, you were, you were selling new lambs that you were averaging 1,000 apiece or 1,500 apiece. There was, there was money to be made from those early imports as well. And I'm sure you, got, you saw a bit of that. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. Yeah, I was probably buying off Robert and some of the other ones uh, at the time. We did get some directly. Yes, oh, you could have. I'm quite right, you know. But um, it was really a bit of a lottery at the beginning. Uh, for for you, just delighted, and I'm, I'm sure the French weren't selling our very best ones to us. So when you opened that door down at Southampton, you just was holding your breath to see what you were going to get <laughs> for a thousand pounds. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you still keep sheep this day. I see them in, in the fields. And then you still keep a few purebreds. Uh, no, no, I rent most of the ground out no. to the, the Campbell brothers of Drumsinia Estates fame. Okay. Uh, at Cowell, 
flock of mm-hmm. Texels, and they've got some um, black faces and blue faced Lesters as well. But the, the, it's quite a privilege because some of the some of the females that uh, I see in the, the, the Texel females, which I go around and have a look at, they're absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're obviously one of the top breeders in Texels as well. And yeah. the power of those heads, and, and, and they're lovely animals to look at. The power and meat and flesh content is fantastic. They do well in the cars. So yeah, I'm still I've still got a little of interest, and I still like looking at a good stock animal. Are you res- responsible for making sure they keep them upright every day? Yes, that's right. I just turn them over for <laughs> their backs are like tables right now. They're not easy to keep on all four sometimes. You're right. That uh, Keith, uh, Alan, and Roy they do have some fantastic uh, Texels and mm. about there, and top top guys in the in the job. And Roy's chairman of the Texel Society at the moment. And you you're also very much involved in the, in the Royal Highland Show and have been a director, I think, of New for, for a, a number of years. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've been I think a director about eleven or twelve years now. Yes, and I just uh, sat on the executive for six years there. Just come off in July, so yeah, it's a great honour and privilege. And 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 the Highland Show is you, you know very close to me. Just as my mother was, was telling me earlier, you know, and she says that uh, she doesn't think I've ever missed a Highland Show even from I was born in May and I was there in June. So um, yeah, I, I just it's been a massive part of my life uh, from exhibition, you know, exhibiting there, but. Early days, my father exhibited, and he had air cows, my father, mm-hmm. uh, early on, one of his great ventures when he came into Fallen Inch. And he um, he, he would go along to the Highland Show, and he, he would take me along, and, um, and I, I had a great time. Then we he wanted to show cattle, and then we got into Charlie, showing Charlie's Romeo, then all other breeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had some wonderful times when I was young there, and, and now, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a director. I do feel sometimes... I'm, poach a ton gamekeeper now I'm a director right now but uh, I had great times and just delighted that we don't have social media in those days I, know, I, I could have got into an awful trouble you know I, I, but, I um, totally agree with you on that one I think some of the times you know, with, with Fletch and Shanksy and, and, and Smithy to that matter as well you're talking great characters there and uh, yeah we all got up to a few a few japes that went on tour stayed on tour <laughs> okay, and that's great absolutely just as well but going back to the Highland I'm not going to put you on the spot too much but obviously they've yeah they've been through the mill the last couple of years with 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 um with the covid and, and everything else and then going down the route now of, of uh, which i've been involved in with sort of televising the the thing as well it's been a been a turnaround hasn't it or it's been it's been an interesting time should i say for the highland show oh yeah it definitely has it's been uh some of its challenges but we, i think we've got a great board of directors who are a great passionate you know and, and gives a good spread of different skill sets mm-hmm. on the board. I think that's probably one of the biggest strengths, actually, that, is this, that when we have a board meeting, uh, it can be very vocal. We, we make our points all known. Um, there's a lot of strong characters in that room, and I think that's been the strength of the board. I think sometimes we do get criticised unfairly, um, I must admit, and I'm pretty quite defensive sometimes mm-hmm. on that, because, you know, we don't, it's a voluntary position. Mm-hmm. We don't get paid as much as people think we get a fortune. I can guarantee I get nothing. Mm-hmm. But I just believe that, you know, people who have got a passion needs to give something back. I had a, I got fantastic times early days as from the Highland Show. And those memories will last me forever. I was a wee boy and strawberries and creams and parties from the Ayrshire days. Yeah, I think if you won the Quay Derby or something and they won the champion Ayrshire, you, you went to the strawberry cream party. I was always dragged along to that. It was fantastic. So, and then, you know, any other uh, drinking exploits later in life. But yeah, so I think we, you know, that's why I'm putting something back into it now uh, in the last few years. And um, I do think, yeah, I, I don't get me wrong, we can all take criticism, but sometimes it's going to be a bit harsh 
And I think the um, I think really believe the directors are probably a good liaison officers mm-hmm. for uh, with the local authorities, you know. And if, if and if we weren't there to to, to really protect uh, the the show and the society, um, because it has been very difficult, Andy. I won't I won't won't say otherwise. Especially you know we've now got all the health and safety issues, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's taken out of our hands, you know. Mm-hmm. And we've got to react. Uh, and this last couple of years has been, you know, we've we've had to put regular uh, regulate the numbers coming into the showground, which was quite hard, but. The authorities made it very clear that we need to have control of our numbers and how many people comes in, etc. Some of it to do with COVID, some of it to do with health and safety, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of people didn't maybe maybe appreciate that, and that's maybe one of our faults was was that communication or something went wrong that we didn't get that message across that look it wasn't j- just the director's decision on that that was uh, unfortunately it was had to be you know we had to comply mm-hmm. comply with all the regulations mm-hmm. nowadays and there's a lot of red, more red tape and regulation that's the that's maybe the sad part which I looking back at the bit Highland show I love the freedom yeah I think I think that would be a better word to say freedom of the seventies eighties even nineties but now we are. You now got a lot. You know, there's a lot of stipulations put on us to to host these events, and not I'm condoning not the safety aspect, but sometimes it really does go over the top, and, and then common sense is lost. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I was involved with the with Smithfield show for all my days, and and uh, as as a youngster showing cattle there, then I similar thing. Gamekeeper turned poacher when I went onto the the board of directors there, and, and again we were just up against red tape. Bearing in mind this was in the middle of London, and and eventually <laughs> eventually it went it went bad way for nothing to do with us, and you just like to yeah, hope that that we can protect these institutions that they are going to carry on living forever, and and as you said, it's uh, everything's against you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and, and I appreciate what's happened to Smithfield, and it's probably one of my actually big, biggest regrets. I never made Smithfield at the time. Uh, you know, our business and stuff took over in December was always a very busy time for us, you know. But I hope that the Highland Show, you know, it's coming up for its two hundred fortieth anniversary in twenty twenty four of the Society, and I think we, ha- because of the strength of the board of directors, we have, I think, and and also. The, the it's fantastic run with a, a team of management there and the staff mm-hmm. they're equally as passionate you know mm-hmm. um so i think the combination of the both is is going to put us in good stead hopefully in the future yeah. um but it looks good at the moment we've built a new we've, we've put a lot of money 10 million pound infrastructure below the ground mm-hmm. that people don't see sometimes water electricity all the cable fiber mm-hmm. and we've just be able to build a new pavilion uh five million pounds so we've reinvested heavily you know but nobody Nobody saw what was coming around the corner of a Ukraine war and, and uh, Russian war in Ukraine, and um, you know Brexit and pandemics. You know, so that has all. But yes, we're up and running, and I think getting this year passed, we've had record crowds. But the the the, the, the Highland the Highland Show and the Society is a, a massive part to the Scottish economy, and you know we've got results from the Scottish uh, government on two hundred and fifty million excess of two hundred and fifty million pound coming back into it. So mm. it's um it's everything that celebrates what's Good and farming, food and rural rural life really in Highland and, society. And, and long may it continue, quite rightly so. And mm-hmm. uh, you and I will have another dram there. You entertained me this year. I think you <laughs> did. You not sponsor this year. I seem to remember remember, remember being in, in a marquee somewhere that uh, you were handing the drinks out in the new year. I've got a small sponsorship package for that. Yes, uh-huh. uh, but uh, no, I, I, I'm involved. But one part I'm involved is doing the uh, life. I, I was a convener of the 
chairman of the livestock and sponsorship committee fundraising. Okay. So that was where my part was there. Okay. But, um, up till July, then always. And let's go on then to your family business. You've mentioned a couple of times. I think Laxdale Food Services is, is you called now, but that's something again that uh, your father started there. There. Tell us a bit more about uh, about what you do there. Yeah, that's right. Um, my, my father, when he came into Fallen in '62, you know, his passion was farming. You very probably. I think his own admission, he didn't know much about farming. He just loved going round farms when, you know, and then after at nights and at weekends. And when he got the opportunity, when they sold the, their business, their building business, my, my father and grandfather, they, he wanted to buy a farm. So he said, right, we've got a farm. And then he tried to make the best of it. And he tried different ideas. He milked cows, Ayrshire's and early on. And then he, he bottled the milk and sold it directly. And then he got chickens and he built that up and he sold them. And got um, eggs, bought eggs in from um, other producers, and he sold them directly, um, a delivery service. So that went on, and then I came in, uh, came into the family business from school. I was always wanted to be a vet, actually. That was my passion. But I was an only child, and my father wanted help, so I took the easy option, and I think he persuaded him he'd get me buying me a new car at eighteen. So I think that was that was the tempting uh, part. So came into the family business and, and then we expanded. I wanted to move on in time of computerization, move on to you, you selling to the customers we already had that he had built on the business and the, on the egg business he had, had made. So yes, we added on different food products onto that. I would buy and sell and became a dis- distributor of food and that's the word food service came out to it. Um, so that went through and it's had its challenges like we've just gone through as well. Um, it been a curry um, you know, announcing way back in uh, the 90s there, or the late 80s, 90s, what it was, about the salmonella and eggs. That, and we, we sold over, you know, 1,500 case of eggs in those days, you know. And that made a big hole in, in, uh, overnight. Uh, we supplied a lot of the um, health boards, etc. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of challenges. Um, um, we'd be able to say, right, do we just give up or do we just, you know, knuckle down and try again, try something else, you know. And that's what we did, you know. Um, the food service, we expanded on the food service side of it, um, built that up, got over a couple of small companies, um, and then recruited more staff. So that was built up. Um, and then, um, yeah, you could see the changes happening, started to change, was starting to happen. And then we got hit with the pandemic. So um, we already built on a small butcher's business to supply the, the food service company. And when the pandemic hit, that was really another... Um, like a you know, curry moment, Salmonella, we, we were supplying um, all restaurants, bars, um, and obviously pandemic, that was closed, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we again, restructured again, uh, built onto the, the, the butcher's business, which went very well. We bought, built a new online service, did a UK national service, delivery service, and that's what our, our kind of main business now is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't really go in, we kept 40 or 50 of the... the the smaller accounts that we had, we let the rest of them go and say, look, we just we just changed it. We didn't go back into the food service side of it as much. We'll just stick to the butchers uh, side of it. Okay. Um, and that's 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 been very worthwhile as well, you know. And uh, that's turned you full not- turned you full circle a little bit because obviously you're supplying beef and sheep, which is kind of where you came from there. And uh, I, I, where would you? I mean, you're supplying this out um, uh, still to the restaurant trade, as you said, or some of your smaller customers, but also direct to to the general public now, which is is, is a is a fantastic short circuit, isn't it? 
Yeah, eighty percent, ninety percent would all be to the public now on the online mm. business and stuff. And we we source our meat from different abattoirs in Scotland, and and I've been around to them all. We, we obviously every week we we speak to what different uh, you know different abattoirs to see what cattle's got coming in. Um, quality and value has been our big thing. We sell packs and got direct from the farm, direct to the public. Um, and I think that's that's how we, we operate. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been reasonably successful. It's been a long way it continue. And you bring in carcasses in direct from the abattoir straight into to there and, and then butchering them yourself? Or, or are you bringing some of this ready butchered in? We, we do a little bit of that, but we don't have enough manpower really for that. So we get a lot of the, the, the carcasses cut up in, in the abattoirs and brought in. Uh, already uh, pre-packed for that job and um, yeah it's been very 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 good very successful so far yeah as you said the, the, the covid did change change things and it's an ill wind that blows nobody any good as i've said a few times and um it did change things the way the public perceived this and the way that farmers now could put their the, could, can and could put their product out there but there must be a competitive market out there because it's not just you i think uh, every third farmer now is trying to sell a box box beef at the farm gate there so that 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 becomes where you need to have a USP, I suppose, and obviously you've got the advantage that you've been in this business already, but you need to have a USP with your quality of your product and your price point. Yeah, absolutely. I think we did have an advantage. We'd already, the infrastructure set up with uh, what we had with all the vans, um, vehicles for refrigeration vehicles. We had all the refrigeration and freezers, etc., where we required, and we had space, you know, and we had everything. So, yes, it wasn't a a massive transformation overnight because we already have been established. Mm. But we just to take the opportunity and grasp it as soon as we can. And, uh, so, so, and, and that's what we did, you know. So, um, yeah, it's been, uh, so far, been, it's been reasonably good. So far, a success story, yeah. And, mm. and, great. and, and num- numbers improving. Obviously, now people are going back out again to restaurants. Are people still, is, is the trade still there for the people buying home or have they started to creep back in buying from the supermarkets again? Oh, I think some of them definitely go back to the supermarket. Everybody has. I mean, we couldn't have kept going at one time after the pandemic hit. I mean, it was just crazy times, absolutely. Um, but no, I think it's it's more a balanced time now, and I think we can uh, are able to. Everybody can live uh, live a wee bit easier. Um, but no, it's. I think it's still good value that buying direct. I think that will be now even more so with the cost of living when you see the prices of. You know, uh, electricity in these hotels and restaurants. I think it's it could, it could be it could be difficult for the hospitality for a wee while as well. Uh, and you know, buying direct from the farm, the farmer, um, it gives still great value. It's, it's a double stab that the hospitality trade has taken after the COVID. Then, oh, as you said, to, to see the, the yeah. a with the lack of staff and b with the rising costs of uh, of all their, their amenities, it is going to become a difficult trade time for that. And and but with regards to the the, the public that you're selling to, is there still an element of education needed? I mean, I know you in the Highland show. They they got outfits like Ret and what have you, but and there's a lot of other companies out there who are still trying to educate the com- the, the public that uh, you, you need to buy if you buy quality and you buy it right there it's 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 better for you in every way. Do you get involved in that? Yeah, well, obviously the Island Show is, is as you have alluded to there that uh, Ret has been a big part of the education system and that continues for the Highland Society. Mm. Along with QMS, is doing a lot in schools, etc. as well. You know, they're, they're trying to get the message across. So I think we all are, do our part, you know, so when you've got children coming around the farm here, they go and see the animals, you know, they understand how it works and, you know, we have a chat with them as well. So, um, but yeah, I think the public's always learning, you know, and, and we're all very, very 
I think every farmer's probably very keen to try to explain to where, they, where their food comes from, you know. But I think Brett does a fantastic job for that. Um, I obviously have it. Top Lines and Tales has a listener base across the world, but certainly a few in England. Would you, would you still, would you supply a lot of Scottish beef into England under the banner of Scotch beef being being a being a, a superior product? Is that something that that that, uh, that you guys still market? That's well, quite rightly so, if you ask me. But uh, Scotch beef is the best. Well, I think everybody's. I think I'm. I'm sure there's some fantastic English beef out there as well. So it's not. I've not got a monopoly on that. I just think if we have, there's a story behind what we do. You know, and we're on the farm, where we buy it from, and it's a bit like you know. I, I've been to wine tastings in Italy and France, and and you know, there's always a story. You know, and if you if you if you're buying a product from somewhere. I think it's always exciting to, to, to eat it at the table or drink it at the table to know where it's came from. You can go onto your website, you know it's been directly made or and locally been came from somewhere locally. Then it is quite exciting. I think that's the story yeah. is, a, is a bigger attraction rather than always where it has to come from because there is some, some fantastic herbs all over, mm-hmm. you know. So there's not a monopoly for that, I think, personally. But you do, um, you do market it as a story. And, and uh, just give us, your, give us your website. We might as well give it a plug while we're there. Yes, yeah, Fallen Inch Farm Butchers. Okay. Um, so they go on there. It's yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, and, and we're moving moving around a full circle, and you're still very much involved. You've been and you know, you'll have been on the board of one or two other operations and various things around there. You do your bit for the industry uh, um, when you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the Charlotte Society and the Royal Highland. Society has been my big two big passions for on, on board stuff really, um, and you know that that's I think covers such a variety of of, of what I'm involved in. Uh, so I'm very lucky. I'm not never did very much food and drink stuff myself. I, but, you know, and we've got a kind of phrase. My father's been a big influence. He always comes up with these slogans. You know, and he used comes up with his, he used to say to me, "Love many." Trust a few and just paddle your own canoe, and I don't really know what that will mean. But you know, you, you, you know, you look, listen to a lot of people, and uh, you, you take their ideas, your thoughts. But ultimately, you've got the decision to make where you want to go. Sure. And I think that's been m- myself. You know, when we're driving businesses, etc., looking at new opportunities, um, and you know, and visionary. You need to get vision in the future. Sure, really. sure. Well, let's just talk briefly of the future. I mean, you, you, you've. you've as you said, you've reinvented yourself again, if that's the right word there. And how, mm-hmm. yeah. how are we seeing? I mean, we've got a we've got a recession coming in the UK, and I think farming so far has ridden the the COVID bubble fairly well. I, I, w- I would say, and the COVID and the Brexit uh, bubble, both which were preached to be absolute disasters. Are we see? We're going to see a change now. We're going to see a recession. And how do you see the future coming coming next next half decade decade? Yeah, I, I, I actually got quite a lot of hope for agriculture. I think the way I would look at it is, you know, um, there's a, a phrase, again, I've heard quite regularly, is if, if, you know, if, we have, if you feed them and clean them and entertain them, then, you know, you'll always be in business, you know. So the first two, feed and clean, clean you know, be a Scottish word for uh, meaning, you know, clothing them. Mm-hmm. Then and through wool, etc. Then you know I think we'll always be in business. So the, I think the exciting part is uh, for me the, the way if we can get some more sec- food security. So farming has to be involved in that. Um, but then the other options and opportunities might come out of renewables. Mm-hmm. Now you know when you look at renewables, let it be wind, um, hydro, or, or solar. You all need space. You know. So that's where agriculture, you know, you've, you've seen where the windmills have gone into these hill farms, hydro into other, you know, high land, but now solar now coming into, um, 
into lowland farms as well. So the opportunities, I think, has to be grasped in that as well. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was in France not that long ago, you know, solar in your area, mm-hmm. um, there's solar everywhere, you know. So uh, I know myself, we're just going to be put on some solar into the farm here as well. So I think there's opportunities on on still that the nation has to be fed. And, and I think also on the renewables, which is quite exciting mm-hmm. as well. The tourism industry has probably helped a little bit too. With, with I think COVID might have helped that a little bit for people um, uh, holidaying within their own country and starting to just explore a bit of the of the, of the countryside. And, and there's, there's an opportunity that farmers. My father wouldn't have had a tourist on the farm. You know, I, I suggested to him <laughs> about let's put a caravan site down in this field, and, and I thought he was going to have a heart attack at the thought of it. You know, but nowadays th- this is where some of the money is coming back into the industry again, isn't it? Yeah, I think the diversification for you know a lot of family farms coming on that unfortunately they're just not big enough you know um i speak to somebody in a race recently and and i think one of your your podcasts you said talk about will mclaren uh the late will mclaren and they buying a bull i think it was four thousand guineas in 1955 and could buy a, a car a combine and something else he said and, and um you know that that's very prevalent you know in the 1960s a hundred acre farm in the cars of stilling could could buy a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff in a car every year, and kids and holidays away, etc. Now, you know, it's just impossible. Yeah. So the scales of economy is required as, as it's moved on. Um, so yeah, I think if 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 any family business wants to run, farming family wants to run and survive now, then there has to be a diversification, and that's maybe what we happened to us. You know, I want to come back in, but thought. Well, I just you know don't want to do the normal stuff. So you know we looked at different. I looked at different ideas. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's happening now through your tourism, your glamping, your pod systems, whatever be on farm, family farms, farm shops, and there's been some great diversifications. Fantastic diversifications. Maybe, maybe the way the global warming's coming, you'll be growing grapes in in uh, in Scotland shortly. We'll all be coming up there to get a glass of red wine with you. In the oh, I would love. I would love that. That would just be heaven. You know, that would just be absolute heaven for me. Red wine is my favourite. You know. Well, next time you're down in France, call by here because we just south of Bordeaux and there's plenty of red wine down here. In fact, I'm back over in in uh, in the in the in the winter. I might just bring a bottle round and come and knock on your door there. Um, oh, I would love that, Andy. Yes, bring a nice wee bottle of Bordeaux. Hog, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Have you got any stories just to add to this? Anything you got? We can dirt. We can pull on Fletch or anybody else. I always remember one of the the, the stories that uh, was was pulled out from me when I was very young at the Perth market. I was selling a bull, uh, and uh, it wasn't the best bull. But I remember before he left, he was always a bloody horny bull. You know, he's bursting gates, and he's just an eighteen-month-old, a young, young bull. And anyway, it wasn't the best bull. So he got in the ring, and the great David Leggett says, "Now, young Hornell here, what, 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 what can you tell me about this bull?" And I said, "David, I, you know, I was only about twenty-two or twenty-one. I said, I think this bull c- could serve." A nervous heifer on black ice, <laughs> and the crowd started to laugh. You know, and everybody started to laugh. And then David started to laugh, and, and they, eventually they tried to sell the bill, and they couldn't get a bid for the damn thing. So um, they went away at the ring, and, that, and I always remember that story. And thinking, oh, well, that's a lesson for me. You know, maybe don't make too much of a quip in the, in the ring. They're all still laughing. Forgot to bid. Him. <laughs> Good... No, yeah, I think there's so many great stories and characters of me. You know, I've been very privileged to. To, to have met so many people and, and you know, and even to this day, I've, I mean, I've had great help from like Norman Taylor, who's a great character, and Stephen Taylor's son, mm-hmm. and 
um, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for them for giving all the help and, and, and to, to, with my cattle. And they drive me on, really, quite honest. I, I think um, now my daughter's come in and involved. He, she likes been showing cattle from a young age. And so uh, all these people you meet, and I think that's the great thing about showing and, and enjoying shows. That it's there's a there's a mental aspect that you can release. You know, it's a very lonely part and. And farming, and I think going to these local shows or national shows, you meet so many great people, and a lot of stories can come out. Some of them obviously can't be repeated, you know. But uh, it's it's all part of the memory. Well, so, it takes characters to make characters as well. And as I said, you are a, a character in livestock, and somebody I always enjoy a yarn with when uh, when we're going about them. We've always got a story, as you said. They can't all be repeated on this <laughs> on this podcast. But uh, it's always great to catch up with you, and it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you today on on the Top Lines and Tales podcast. And uh, you're, you're you're very humble in the way you you, you talk about your your um, exploits in the Shirley cattle world. I know you're 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 up there with with the names of the best of them there, and uh, uh, and, uh, and and your business too and I think you've, uh, you're a man that's much to be admired there uh, Honky, it's been a great pleasure Well that's very kind of you Andy thank you very much but uh, there are a lot of people who are doing a great job out there as well apart from myself but yeah but thank you and I think you're doing a great job yourself uh, I, I'm not I'm not listening to you every week but I'm a regular listener and I think it's great uh, Friday night and, uh, on a, or a your podcast when I listen to it on a glass of wine <laughs> sitting in front of the fire it's, good. it's great crack I must admit lovely to brilliant to have you on and uh, good luck with your bull in, in, uh, in Sterling there give him a plug as well hopefully you'll get a, you get a bit of trade there it's not, it's not long away now excellent thanks very much and I look forward to that glass of red wine in the winter Andy. We'll, we'll definitely catch up with you cheers, cheers honky it's been a pleasure Take care. Thank you, Andy. Thanks very much. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's Top Lines and Tales podcast. And as always, we'd like to give thanks to our sponsors, Harborough. And uh, if you're in the cattle business and thinking about rations for the winter this year, have you thought about feeding Rumitech? It's an additive that's uh, unique to Harborough, which is uh, proven to improve animal performance, killing out percentage and reduce methane emissions. Why not look up Harborough on the internet or find your local representative uh, for, for more information on their range of products and their brilliant nutritional advice. And whilst you're on the internet, why not look at the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where you'll find photographs and other information to back up this and other episodes.